This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Hey, good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you, and happy Sprinter in the Midwest. <laughs> That's spring slash winter. <laughs> There's a chance of snow Saturday, and then it'll melt by noon. But anyway... Um, want to mention, uh, Jenny, uh, Palzowitz is running for elder person here locally in the city of De Pere, District 4. She goes to our church. She's a wonderful, strong sister in Christ and supporter of Stand Up for the Truth. Again, her name is Jenny with a Y, Palzowitz. And you can email her if you have any questions. If you're in the De Pere, Wisconsin area, um, Jenny for De Pere at gmail.com. Jenny for F O R D Peer at gmail.com. So remember to support your brothers and sisters in Christ when they get off the bench and into the game politically or, or otherwise. Also, some great news. Then there were four. Drum roll, please. We now have a donation from someone who listens in Hawaii. Um, thank you so much, brother. Just got this in. Um, Kappa, Hawaii, and uh, just we're, we're blessed to have this. Hey, Hawaii has your back, brother. This is Pastor John Pinnell's son out here in the island of Kauai. May the Lord richly bless you. Love your show. Listen every day. God bless you. So that means, friends, we hope we hopefully we have listeners, but we're counting the states that we get a donation from just because it's fun to do it that way. And we're not asking for a lot of money. We're just saying, hey, we're just saying Connecticut, Maine, Rhode Island, and Utah. Where are you? Especially Utah. I know there was, there's four more states. I know there has to be some Christians or conservatives in Utah. Uh, I'm not sure about Connecticut, Maine, or Rhode Island. But prove me wrong. Mary, you've got an announcement before, before we get to Dr. Yeah, Andrew Woods. Yeah, I want to talk about just real briefly the Stand Up for the Truth weekly podcast newsletter. It's all set up, and all you need to do if you haven't already is sign up. Uh, go to standupforthetruth.com, click on the subscribe button, uh, and this free newsletter goes out once each Friday afternoon. It contains links for the week's guests and podcasts. You can listen to what you missed. Share it with family and friends. Standupforthetruth.com. Click subscribe. And I, I talk to people all the time who, who say, well, I miss the podcast. I, you know, I can't listen at 9 a.m. All you got to do, because we all have smart devices, is grab that app, the podcast app, any podcast mm-hmm. app, and you can look for us, Stand Up For The Truth. You can subscribe, and you can get those any time of the day or night. So, um, yeah, that's right. yeah, so subscribe to the newsletter. Yep. Only one a week. We will not bombard your email inbox and you'll get a recap of all the guests for that week if you missed any. Uh, Pastor Andy Woods is back with us. We love his teachings. He's the pastor and teacher at Sugarland Bible Church in Texas, author of many, many books, including Babylon, the bookends of prophetic history, Middle East meltdown, the coming kingdom. And, uh, Andy is also president of Chafer Theological Seminary. And you can get more information on him at Andy Woods Ministries. Brother, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, David and Mary, Mary good to be with you today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Andy, do you, do you know anybody in Utah or Connecticut or Rhode Island? <laughs> Let's see here. I've got to know somebody. No, no, no particular name comes to mind. Okay. All right. Well, ch- check that later. Hey, Mary has a very non-controversial uh, uh, issue she wants to talk about, China. Uh, to kick off the podcast today. Yeah, and so, yeah. Mayor, let's go there because we've got a lot to cover. Yes, we do have a lot to cover. And we've talked about China before on the podcast. But I, I want to 
uh, it's Andy. So I want to ask you, um, I know that all eyes will be on the Eastern Hemisphere in the last days. Israel, Gog and Magog Alliance, Kings of the East, Roman Empire, all of that stuff. But recently, I think most people know that, that Putin and Xi had a confab, and they also had a state dinner at the Kremlin. And um, uh, Xi said at that state dinner, now there are changes that have not happened in a 100 years. When we are together, we drive these changes. And people are saying they're forming the core of a new axis. And I know that the Kings of the East is mentioned in Revelation 16. But I want to ask you, it, were you surprised at the sudden role of China um, no thanks to the Biden family, of course. But were you surprised a little bit at how much we are seeing China in the news? And do you think it's significant? I, I guess it caught me off guard, and I'd like to get your take on that. Well, I guess I'm not surprised because I I do believe China is the kings of the East. Um, Dr. John Walvoord, in his Revelation commentary, took Revelation 9 and Revelation 16 that way. And so if you're looking for China in prophecy, that would probably be the blessed place to start. And then we know from Ezekiel 38 and 39 that Rosh or Russia is going to play a role in the end times. And so therefore, you know, it's not surprising that the two entities would cooperate. And it's not surprising that so much of our news now is dominated by China. I mean, I remember going back to Bill, the, the Bill Clinton presidency, mm. where China, you know, um, remember Al Gore and the Buddhist temple, and mm. there was, uh, you know, the sale of our, you know, uh, White House access was given, you remember, in that time period mm-hmm. um, to, to China uh, in exchange for, new, you know, military secrets and so that's when you really start to see china have an inroad um into u.s politics and foreign policy and that whole trend is just continuing and there was that one fellow in the congress um Saulwell, i think his name was who was having an affair with a chinese spy and then there's issues in the new we had the balloon that happened recently right, right, the chinese yeah. surveillance device that's right and then there's uh, the things Mary's talking about. And so I guess to answer your question, it doesn't surprise me mm-hmm. because I do see a role for both China and Russia, you know, in the end times. Well, Nixon went to China. Remember that? And and I was yeah. fairly young at the time. But there was a collective gasp in the media that Nixon would be the one to open the door to China. So mm. it does go even back that far. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Mary. I mean, uh, Andy. Uh, Mary. I know Mary's take. Um, let's talk about Zelensky in Ukraine real quick. Um, is, is he kind of trying to warm up to uh, both both China and America, trying to get help from both in his defense of his country? And what what are your thoughts there? I don't trust this guy. I, I we pray. I encourage people to pray for the Ukrainian people for the churches there and the church and those who are vulnerable and those who are innocent victims of this war. But uh, the globalist government there in Ukraine, I mean, uh, Zelensky are up to no good. I want to get your take on how he's playing this thing. Well, the whole thing to me is very strange. I mean, obviously, when Putin invaded Ukraine, obviously what Putin did was wrong. And, you know, obviously that fits into his uh plans for, you know, what I believe is global domination, and it fits in with Bible prophecy because of the aggressiveness of Russia in the last days, you know, but at the same time, uh, Zelensky has just done a lot of strange things, Mm -hmm. and I I, I guess I kind of feel like there's somebody making a lot of money off of 
our sale of weapons to the Ukrainians. And I, I kind of think that, you know, if we were serious about helping Ukraine fend off Russia, we would really, you know, go all the way and completely give them what they need to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. But because we're doing it so piecemeal, it, it kind of makes me believe that we're, we're really not in it mm -hmm. to win it, yeah. which makes me believe that somebody out there is making money off this. And yeah. so, like most of these things, it's kind of follow the money and you'll get your answer. Um, one thing you had in last week's Pastor's Point of View, uh, an article, China, Russia, Iran, hold joint naval drills in Gulf of Oman. And you, uh, right along that same place, you talked about Revelation chapter 9. Tell us a little bit about that and how you uh, put that together. Well, it's just a matter of, you know, looking at the major players in the end time scenario, you know, we've already talked about Russia, Ezekiel 38, China, you know, arguably the kings of the East, Revelation 9, Revelation 16, and then one more to throw into the mix is Persia, Ezekiel 38, mm. which we believe is modern day Iran. Yes. And so, you know, as the, the, the saying goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> mm -hmm. In other words, if these guys are all against Israel, uh, which they will be, according to prophecy, then it really doesn't stand to reason that they start to cooperate with each other. And that's what you see with all three of them, you know, involved in, you know, joint naval um, activities together. So they're preparing for war. Mm. You know, what's, what's our nation doing? We're debating pronouns and, yep. you know, yep. what's a man, what's a woman. That's the things that our military is... <laughs> sadly occupied with what are they doing i mean they're they're prepping for war and that article i cited they've been doing this going back these joint naval exercises going back to around 2019 and so i you know when you see all three of them together working in tandem i i think that's uh you know prophetically significant you know it's stage setting yeah, I think you made a very good but disheartening point for those of us in the West, especially in America, that we have been weakened by this current administration where I think we're a laughing stock to some degree around the world. And yeah, as other nations are, as you said, preparing for war, our military, they're struggling over whether to you know allow transgenderism or whether to you know, pronouns and these woke policies as opposed to getting the military ready to defend the nation. Yeah. That's really sad. Yeah, our military spending is way down and theirs is way up. Surprise. Mm. Yeah, and if you watch, um, you probably watch Gordon, Gordon Chang a lot. He he appears on a lot of the cable outlets. I mean, his analysis of China is um well it's it's like you know he thinks war with china you know is 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 imminent and so you know the kings of the east rising you know is another major player in this end time scenario Wow, yeah, so much to look at. I, had, I have a question for you, Ian. We're talking about geopolitical maneuvering. Uh, Turkey is having a major election on May 14th of all days. Erdogan's head is on the block here. Um, he, he, and it's not a secular government there. Uh, he has an executive presidential position. Uh, if he were to lose, and it's a pro-Kurd party that is ahead by um, 10 points at this point, they would go back to a parliamentarian rule, a more of a secular government. I don't know if you're uh, real familiar with that, but that's coming up. Do you have any thoughts on, on uh, Turkey and, and where that's at in Bible prophecy? Well, Turkey is a big deal because four of the names that Ezekiel mentions, um, Meshach, Tubal, um, uh, Tagorma, 
and uh, uh, let me see, Meshach, Tubal, Tagorma, and Gomer, mm-hmm. um, I believe all represent uh, what we would call modern-day Turkey. Wow. So Ezekiel gives four names to modern-day Turkey. And so Turkey is very interesting because Turkey, um, as you mentioned, used to be a, well, an ally of Israel. Right. In fact, uh, Israelis used to go there to take their vacations, if you can mm-hmm. imagine that. Mm-hmm. And we always knew that Turkey, just like Russia, you know, would eventually transition into what it is today. Um, I, I have a quote in one of my books from Frank Gaffney, formerly of the Reagan administration, mm. who, and you can see him a lot on the different cable outlets today. But he says he said back in 2005, Turkey is transitioning from just uh, being sort of a secular democracy into you know a full blown you know Islamic state. And so it doesn't surprise me that Turkey's moving this direction because that's what Bible prophecy indicates. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, in our pastor's point of view, I quoted an article where there was a soccer match in Turkey between a Turkish team and an Israeli team. Uh, the Turkish team coming from sort of a prestigious prep school. And when the Turkish team defeated the Jewish team, uh, instead of the old days where we would shake hands, you know, at the end of a, a match or a game, uh, they greeted or, uh, you know, saluted the losing team with the Nazi salute. Wow. And everybody is shocked that this, this is happening because, you know, how could such a prestigious prep school allow that? Well, it fits the trajectory of Turkey. Mm-hmm. You know what Bible prophecy indicates. I, I would expect Turkey to move in this direction. So, with yes. all of that being said, I would be completely stunned if Erdogan was ousted. I don't mm-hmm. think okay. that's going to happen. Yeah. I think there. You know, if we think we have rigged elections there, <laughs> you can only, you can only here rather. Yeah. You can only imagine what they have there. Yeah, and right. so, I think uh, Erdogan, with his dictatorial powers, you know, will continue, and Turkey will continue to be a menace. Okay. Well, and Turkey does have an incredible history because Constantinople, which is today's Istanbul, was the first head of the Roman Empire, and then Istanbul and the Ottoman Empire. They have had a huge role in world history over time, and I don't mm. see that coming to an end anytime yeah. soon. So thank you for that response. So, um, Andy, um, I want to bring it back home. There's, this, I want to ask you about Israel and these uh, these emergency protests mm-hmm. and Netanyahu's reaction and response, but I want to bring it home to something that's very disturbing, that's brewing in America, and that would be violence against Christians for speaking the truth about God and creation and gender. There is this Trans Day of Vengeance planned, and that's going to be April 1st at the Supreme Court. There, it says, wear a mask, bring a buddy, stop trans genocide, Transgender Day of Vengeance. Um, and we know the Nashville shooting took place just days ago, and this is very disheartening, and I want to just point out what uh, um, Tucker Carlson has been trying to raise awareness about this for a long time. He predicted a shooting last week, uh, not where and not, not the day, but he rightly pointed out that the constant rhetoric about a non-existent trans genocide was ginning up panic and growing a violent resistance in the trans community. I, and the media is complicit. I would love to get your thoughts on this and, and you know, just, just to, uh, guess, wake people up to what is actually starting to happen. 
Well, I would just say that the left accuses us on the conservative end of doing, you know, what they, they've been planning to do all along. I mean, ever since I can remember, you know, we've been accused of being, you know, white Christian nationalists, you know, that are domestic terrorists. And here are people showing up at school board meetings, you know, protesting critical race theory. They're being called domestic terrorists. Well, I guess what we're, we're seeing now is who the true terrorists are. Um, you might remember the group Jane's Revenge, yes. um, a group that would go around doing violent acts. And they still are. Yeah. And still are in the light of Roe versus Wade being overturned. Of course, we know what BLM did a couple summers ago with all the looting and arson and burning. Uh, and then the same thing's happening with this, what you're talking about, you know, this transgender revenge. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the true uh, domestic terrorists... Uh, are really the people on the left rather than the right. Yeah, and there is a retaliation um, to a perceived uh, discrimination against transgender people. And there, I'm looking at there's so many different pictures and memes out there, but there these are actual movements. Uh, one trans person is holding up a sign with a gun around the shoulders, and it says on the sign, trans rights or else. And it's got... Pink, blue, white, light blue, pink rifles and AR, you know, assault rifles. In the, and, and so if that was a Christian oh, right. saying yeah. defend, you know, or God in right. America. Anyone on the right. Yeah, yeah, this would be front page news in the media. Uh, Andy, I'm glad you mentioned Jane's Revenge because I do want to uh, share some breaking news. We've had Jelaine Appling of Wisconsin Family Action, the, the president of uh, Wisconsin Family Council on the podcast um, about every other month for years. Her organization, her offices were bombed last Mother's Day in May, on May 8. They just now have a person of interest. They made an arrest, I think, yesterday. Uh, now, we don't know. I'm looking for a statement. I think she's waiting to see what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did arrest somebody. Uh, as you know, the FBI and the CIA and the... Um, um, the D- Department of, of Justice were not going after this really intensively, and they weren't really trying to find those who were from Jane's Revenge bombing pl- pro-life pregnancy centers and churches. Um, but yet they arrested a guy within four days that, that tried to set fire to a Planned Parenthood in Kalamazoo, Michigan last yep. year, within four days. This has been almost a year. So thank you for bringing up Jane's Revenge. And your brief comments on the justice system and and where we're at, because you just mentioned what they allowed to happen uh, 2020 with Black Lives Matter, billions of dollars worth of damage, a lot of murders on on city streets. And here we are maybe seeing an arrest of something that goes back almost a year when there was they even left their signature on the wall. Yeah, well, one of the huge tragedies, you know, that's happened is our, you know, time and tested um, institutions like the FBI uh, and others are now basically ideological. Yep. The Department of Justice, the same so-called Department of Justice, yeah, so-called. the same thing. I mean, Lady Liberty, you know, is blindfolded for a reason. You know, it's the idea that, you know, whoever commits the crime, it doesn't matter what part of the political divide that they're on, if they commit a crime, they should be prosecuted. Well, obviously what's happening is we're, we're, we're living in a two-tiered society, I think it's what Trump called, you know, the deep state. Mm-hmm. 
And essentially, it's um, our most cherished institutions like the FBI are now tainted and they're corrupted and they prosecute people, you know, completely based on political ideology. So the J6 protesters, you know, yeah. are treated one way. Yes. And other, you know, problem people, uh, criminals on the left are treated a completely different way. And so it's, it's, um, Oh, I guess it's just antithetical to what America is supposed to be with Lady Lady Liberty blindfolded. We're now literally living in a two-tiered system, Mm -hmm. justice for one set of group, different set of standards for others. On purpose, because as uh, Barack Barack Obama once said, uh, uh, he was just days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. He campaigned on that, and people didn't take him seriously. They didn't even ask what he meant by that. Yeah. So, Mayor, we've got 20 minutes. Where okay. do you want to go next? Yeah, I, I'm, I want to ask you, Andy, I mean, about the— 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> Where Can you uh, break down the Israeli protests? You know, our good friend Chris Quintana is just in Israel. Mm-hmm. I think he's on his way home. Yes. He said it's not at all what the Western media is uh, reporting it to be. Um, I certainly trust Chris's take on it. But he left things. you hanging. But, yeah. Well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> what do you mean by that? Um, you know, who's behind the protest? Can you just briefly, you know, summarize what is actually going on there? Because I don't completely understand what precipitated it and what is now going on. Well, I think the mistake a lot of people make with it is they start with uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, mm. and they want to sort of, um, you know, blame him for the whole thing. But what you need to do is you need to go back to their judicial system. You know, their judicial system is very different than ours. Mm. Um in our system, the person that wins the elections, uh, like the president, appoints Supreme Court justices. Well, their judicial system is self-perpetuating. Sam, we know how that works. People hire their own. Mm. I mean, that's how all of our universities here in the United States started to lean left after a while, because the leftists got control of them and only hired their own people. Mm. And that's what you have in the Israeli judicial system and and now this um, left-leaning judicial system is interfering with the ability of the military and the ability of the prime minister uh, to to do his job you know in a time when Israel's enemies are increasing in strength and not shrinking in strength and so to prevent this Netanyahu when he came to power in this last go-round basically wanted judicial reform and he wanted it where um, there would be more um, accountability uh, to the people and their elected representatives in terms of who is going to be on the judicial system. <laughs> and so this uh, proposal that they have to, for judicial reformation has just enraged the left. And that's where these protests ultimately are coming from. <laughs> They're coming from people that are propagandized or people that are basically being shipped in. Um, there's a lot of non-Israelis involved in these protests. And you look at the protesters and they're holding the, you know, the rainbow flags and everything. And they're basically trying to uh, uh, stop this judicial reform, which, if passed, would weaken the power of the court and it would weaken the left. And to, to my mind, that's exactly what it's about. It's the same kind of, you know, if you can put the things that happened to Trump um, uh, regarding the deep state trying to undermine him, uh, that's the same uh, playbook that's being used against Netanyahu. Mm. 
And Netanyahu has tried to fight back with this judicial reform, and the left doesn't like it because it would weaken their power. And that's what these protests are, are doing. They're supporting the status quo, supporting the judicial system as it currently exists, and it's basically, you know, anti Netanyahu at the end of the day. Okay. And is George Soros, George Soros stirring this pot too? Because he's got his hand in so many different pots. Oh, this would be the identical situation yeah. that George Soros yeah, he'd love that. would be involved in. <laughs> in fact, our country has a history of going over there, and you can think back to the Obama administration where they did this, going over there and trying to, trying to interfere with their electoral process, mm-hmm. trying to prevent Netanyahu from winning mm-hmm. back in the Obama years. Well, now Netanyahu's back. The left doesn't like it, and they don't like this judicial reform package, which will take down the status quo, and it will dethrone the left, and so they're reacting. And, okay. you know, that's basically my take on it from afar. So, um, Andy, I want to briefly, we've got uh, just a few minutes left before we take our break. Um, you have something in the upcoming tomorrow's Pastor's Point of View, just to give people a little teaser. Uh, you can check that out every week, every Friday. Andy Woods Ministries and his YouTube channel, The Pastor's Point of View, on Mark of the Beast technology. Mary sent me a picture last week. She went into a credit union, and there was a palm reader. Um, and I don't remember exactly what it was supposed to do I, for identification. And you've got J.P. Morgan mm-hmm. uh, now uh, letting consumers pay with their face or palm instead of a card. Tell us about the direction we're going here. Yeah, well, there's um, J.P. Morgan, you know, basically showcasing a new technology where you can pay with your hand or your forehead, you know, your face or your palm. And I'm sorry, but I read that somewhere before. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, do tell. In the Bible. Yeah, Yeah, you know, it's almost like these guys, they wake up and they they say, you know, hey, let's uh, come up with something that gets as close to the Bible as possible. (laughs) Uh, You know, I just find it interesting, just to be clear, I don't think this is the mark of the beast, but but certainly... As you look at the evolution of technology, mm-hmm. um, it's moving us always in this direction, mm-hmm. right down to the the hand or the forehead, exactly what the Bible says. I don't know what the final form exactly of the mark of the beast is going to mm-hmm. look like, but we're sure not moving in the opposite way. That's for sure. uh, we're moving in the pattern that God said the world would you know, move in just prior to his return. Well, my take on it, you know, when I, we had talked about Panera Bread and the show that morning. Was it Amazon? Uh, yes, and through Amazon Panera. Pay or something like that. Yeah. And then, so then I go to the bank and there it is. And all I'm thinking is, okay, people are happy to show their ID at the bank. Nobody went into a bank one day and said, gee, I wish there was a palm reader here so I don't have to show my ID. See, so it's not something people want yeah, or exactly. need. That's how we know it's something being pushed in a certain direction, kind of like a freight train. And we also have what Fed Now is coming up in July. Mm-hmm. And what, uh, Andy, real quick, what's the Uniform Commercial Code? You mentioned that on last week's program. Well, the Uniform Commercial Code basically defines, um, you know, business transactions and the sale of goods uh, between, you know, different parties. And, you know, the reason I brought that up is the Uniform Commercial Code um, in 20 states and this was happening in South Dakota at the time, was trying to change the definition of currency mm. so that it bans um, 
cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, all of these things that people talk about today, which are with blockchain, which is technology mm-hmm. that sort of gives people privacy and autonomy. Mm-hmm. And they're basically trying to ban that and simultaneously wow. bring in what are called CBDCs, central bank digital currency, which will move us into, you know, a cashless society. Mm. And this is being pushed through. And fortunately, you know, Christy Neom of South Dakota actually read the, what a, what a shock this is. She actually read the law before she, you know, (laughs) sign it. And her and her staff found all this stuff in it, um, trying to change the definition of currency and the universal commercial code. And she vetoed it. And it's not just her that needs to do this. There's 19 other governors Mm -hmm. that need to do this because once we move into this, Central bank digital currency, I mean, they basically got us because everything that you do um, in terms of buying habits, they'll now be a, a, a paper trail on you. Everything will be, you know, digitized in that sense okay. because it's all electronic. And now the the framework is in place for the social credit score system or if your buying behavior goes against the government narrative, then, you know, all of a sudden you find yourself locked out of things. You can't get the loan for your business. You can't, you know, get your kids in the schools you want to get them into, uh, etc. Well, we've got to take our first break with Dr. Andy Woods, and you can get more information at Andy Woods Ministries. Um, we've got a lot to talk about <laughs> as we we got a lot to cover when we come back. There's a new book from Barna on uh, issues facing millennials. Also, we're going to go back to talk about this environmental global spirituality that's fascinating. And a lot more with Andy Woods, with me and Mary, when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Did you know that the Stand Up For The Truth podcast is 100% produced by the Q90FM radio staff in Green Bay, Wisconsin? Most people don't. When you support Stand Up For The Truth, your tax-deductible donations fund our ministry's operations, programming, and outreach ministries. Stand Up For The Truth, Q90FM, and Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Thank you for your prayers and support. All right, uh, Mayor, you wanted to talk about a very uh, significant city called Damascus. Yes, and a lot of prophecy students um, for many, well, for many, many years now have been talking about uh, Isaiah seventeen one and a, a destruction of Damascus, um, and something that they feel because with the Syrian war and that hot, that's been going on for what a dozen years now, um, seeing that that is maybe something that's on the radar. Um, I, I want to get your take on that because I, I know that you don't teach that it's a future event. John Wolford believes it was a past event, and he points to Ezekiel 47, 16 to 18, because it mentions Damascus uh, serving to ID the future borders of Israel in the in the Millennial Kingdom. So I want to get your take, Andy, on Damascus, and I know that you are a student of the Word, and so can we dive in for a few minutes on what you feel about that, what you believe about that? Right. Well, I'm I'm all in favor of, you know, looking at the Bible and and seeing what parts of the Bible are futuristic, like Ezekiel 38 and 39, and, you know, trying to um, see how world events are catching up finally with what the Bible said. The problem is um, a lot of folks are doing that in sections of the Bible that aren't really clearly eschatological or future-oriented or prophetic, and... I have felt that people are doing that in some key areas, like Psalm 83. They talk about a Psalm 83 war, mm-hmm. 
which I'm really not seeing in Psalm 83. And they're doing the same thing with this prophecy of Damascus, which is, you know, Damascus in Syria is exciting because we have a Russian and an Iranian presence there as I speak, and that's immediately on Israel's northern border. And so it's tempting to go to the Bible and say, well, this is that. Um, here's a prophecy in Isaiah 17 about Damascus, and Damascus is going to be made a ruinous heap. You know, the problem is, when you look at verse 4, it says, Now in that day the glory of Jacob will fade, and the fatness of his flesh will become lean. This is talking about a invasion that, when it occurs, Israel will, um, you know, be lowered. That's not what an end times prophecy is about. The end times prophecy is about Israel, you know, becoming saved through these eschatological events leading to the kingdom. I mean, you'll see that clearly in Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 38 and 39. So I guess I'm leaning more in the direction of the late Dr. John Walverd, you know, who in his prophecy knowledge handbook said this is actually something that happened in the past. This is something that the Assyrians did to the Jews, you know, ultimately leading to the um, dispersal of the northern tribes in 722 B.C. So, you know, I'm all in favor of looking at current events um, through the lens of the Bible, but let's do our biblical exegesis first and see, does the Bible really teach a futuristic war here? And, you know, we don't really do ourselves any favor by taking things, in my opinion, out of context to build a biblical scenario for the end times that the Bible, you know, may not actually be um, um, supporting. So people have different views on that, and uh, we don't break fellowship, uh, fellowship over something like no. this. But it's interesting to hear different perspectives, mm-hmm. and so we'll, uh, we'll leave that there. Uh, we do want to talk about Palm Sunday in a few minutes, because that's coming up, and Jesus' triumphal entry, which was just fascinating because it was predicted to the day by the prophet Daniel. But I want to go to one more item from your pastor's point of view tomorrow. Sorry to uh, be a spoiler for those waiting to see what you're going to talk about tomorrow, Andy. But this is fascinating. They say trust the science, but they're treating it like a religion. What am I talking about? The University of Helsinki in Finland is announcing this year's uh, ceremony, uh, Jubilee ceremony. It began on March 20, but they're going to include on June 9. They're going to give Greta Thunberg an honorary doctorate of theology alongside various professors and bishops. So they're treating her like this global warming fanatic, like a religious prophet. And where's the science? Andy, I'd love to hear your take on this. (laughs) Well, you know, it's something that I've suspected for a long time. You know, they keep saying trust the science over and over again. Well, the truth of the matter is global warming, global cooling, climate change, you know, evolution, you know, all these kinds of things that we've been subjected to, well, they're really not scientific at all. It has to do with the enthronement of a religion. You know, in this case, I think it's the enthronement of something called Gaia, Mm -hmm. which is the idea that, you know, the Earth is actually a living, breathing, thinking entity. Mother Earth. It's... It's not, yeah, Mother Earth is not an inanimate object, and so we have to treat the Earth correctly, or the Earth is going to retaliate against us through hurricanes and tsunamis and tornadoes. I remember the actor Danny Glover, you know, in the back in 2009, 
in the wake of the um, uh, let's see, there was a, there was an earthquake. I'm forgetting the place where the, that happened, but there was a big earthquake, and he said this earthquake took place because of our um, inactions towards the Earth at the Copenhagen summit. In other words, the Earth mm. retaliated against us, and I was thinking to myself, "What? <laughs> this is not science. Yeah. This is uh, this is a theology." Mm-hmm. And so, it's very interesting that Greta Thunberg, if I'm pronouncing her name yeah. right, who has been popularized by the left as a global warming, you know, sort of uh, person that's been warning us about this for a long time. You know, she's given a, a, a doctorate. Mm-hmm. You know, not even a master's degree, a doctorate. I mean, I have a doctorate in theology. It took me seven years to get it, which, by the way, is the same length as the Great Tribulation period, <laughs> seven years. But I, I work my tail off for mm-hmm. it, and here she's given a doctorate, not in one of the hard sciences, but theology, an honorary doctorate because of her stance on climate change. Well, there it is, folks. For anybody that, that wants to see the writing on the wall, this whole thing is not about science. It's about a religion. Mm-hmm. It's about the last days, one world, environmental mm-hmm. spirituality called Gaia. It's what Paul predicted in Romans 1, at uh, the very end of the chapter, when he says they will exchange the truth of God's word mm-hmm. for, or the, the truth of God for a worship of created things. And as we throw Christianity out of everything today, People have to worship something, so they're worshiping the created thing mm-hmm. in the place of the creator, and they're worshiping the earth. In fact, this Gaia mindset is really what's going to bring in world government, because we have to be regulated so that we don't offend Mother Earth. And so this whole thing is spiritual, you know, at its core. And this award given to Greta Thunberg, you know, proves it. So do we call her Saint Greta or Doctor Greta? <laughs> right? Saint she's going to say, "Yeah." Well, Dr. she's already Greta. a saint to yeah, the left. Right. So All now right. it's Doctor yeah. Greta Thunberg. So, um, in, so, in the remaining time, Andy, um, we really want to talk about Palm Sunday. What they call Palm Sunday—it's the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And uh, there's a lot of scripture on this. John 12, first couple of verses. Uh, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, uh, had been raised from the dead. They made him a supper. Um, Lazarus was there with them. And then not too long after that, he uh, th- came, may, may have been the next day, he came into Jerusalem with a great many Jews. And there was a, quite a crowd. And they were actually uh, putting out palm branches and honoring him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And it was quite a fascinating scene. I would love for you to set this up from what is written prophetically about that day. Right. Well, the the key uh, passage is the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 25, you know, the famous 70 weeks prophecy given by God to Daniel through Gabriel. And that particular prophecy predicts that from the issuing of the decree until the uh, really the the coming of the prince, there's a, there's going to be exactly 483 years, and we believe that that decree was issued in Nehemiah chapter two, and when you factor in leap years and you convert from a Jewish calendar to a Gentile calendar system, 
Um, there actually is exactly uh, 483 years in between those two events. In other words, Israel should have known the exact day yes. that Jesus would show up and present his messianic credentials to the nation. And that's what's happening in Luke 19, verses 41 through 44, when he says, you didn't recognize the time of your visitation. Yep. Um, he says, if you had known this day, which would have brought you peace. In other mm-hmm. words, if had they enthroned him, the kingdom of God would have started. But the prophecy predicts he'd be cut off. Mm. And there'd be this long gap that we're living in now called the church age. Um, And one of these days, the church age will be over via the rapture, and God will finish the final seven years on that clock. But the whole thing is just a fascinating study as it points, you know, prophetically to the exact day of Palm Sunday. And I just want to communicate that the best of the best have looked into this, whether it's Sir Robert Anderson, uh, Alva J. McLean, or my professor, um, the late Harold Honer, who had a Ph.D. not only from Dallas Seminary but from Cambridge. And he talks about it in his book, The Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ, mm. um, where he studied this out to the exact day, and this prophecy was fulfilled exactly on time, right to the exact day. And what's sad is most churches uh, this Sunday if they even reference Palm Sunday, probably will not reference that prophecy. No. But this Sunday is what that that prophecy, you know, was all about. This, by the way, is why the wise men, the Magi, who came from Babylon seeking a star. Yes. Uh, keep in mind that this prophecy was given in Babylon to Daniel. And remember, Daniel was elevated into the role, uh, you know, the high-ranking uh, uh, conjurers and so forth what we would call the Magi of his time. And so I think the Magi in the time of Christ had an awareness of this prophecy, and they could sort of figure out when Jesus was going to be born, and that's why they're they're seeking the Christ child, um, the king, at, this, at that particular time in history that we read about in Matthew 2, mm-hmm. you know, Christmas time. And it's sort of a rebuke to Israel. You know, here are these Babylonians that yeah. had a few strands of prophecy. They knew exactly when <laughs> mm-hmm. Jesus was coming, and yet God's chosen people had a full Hebrew Bible, and they couldn't recognize the time period they were living in. They should have known the exact day when the triumphal mm-hmm. entry would occur. Mm-hmm. I want to add to a couple of verses that that uh, are part of this whole thing. Psalm one eighteen twenty two to twenty six: The stone which mm-hmm. the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing; it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I know that gets hijacked a lot, but that is about Palm Sunday. Save now, I pray, O Lord. Also, Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the full of a donkey. And when you, um, I was, I, is this true, Andy? I was reading about this incredible prophecy around this day, but Matthew 24 was only two days later. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? I mean, in, in that whole week, uh, that's a lot of prophecy, uh, important prophecy in just two days' time. Hmm. Oh, yeah, it's it's stunning. There, I mean, there's, you know, countless prophecies given about Christ in advance. A lot of them were fulfilled, you know, on what we call Holy Week or Passion Week. 
you know, which is the time on the calendar that we're entering now. But one of the things that's interesting in Luke 19 is um, as he's coming into Jerusalem on a donkey in fulfillment of Zechariah 9, verse 9, as Mary just indicated, the religious leaders say to Jesus, you know, shut your disciples up, you know, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, if they're quiet, the stones themselves... Are going to start yeah. to scream out mm. because this is a <laughs> wow. this is a very special day that was anticipated in the prophecy given to Daniel, you know, all the way back in the sixth century and in all of world history. This is mm-hmm. a huge day in all of world history, and the Jews missed it. And how many rocks are in Israel? We've been there, Andy. Are they all going to cry out? I want to hear that. Yeah, it's fascinating that uh, when uh, Matthew records the fact that when the Magi came looking for the king of the Jews in Matthew 2, all Jerusalem was troubled. So when Hmm. King Jesus comes riding in on a donkey, they're shouting, Hosanna, Lord save! And all Jerusalem was stirred to excitement and wonder. Isn't that a fascinating parallel? Yeah. It yeah, it's an absolutely fascinating parallel. In Matthew sixteen one through 3, you know, he basically, speaking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, rebukes them because they knew how to interpret the weather, you know, but they did not understand, you know, the signs of the times. I mean, mm-hmm. they didn't understand the messianic season that they were in. And to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm -hmm. This is one of the reasons I'm a big fan of Bible prophecy yet to come, because if God held that generation accountable for understanding the signs of the times, and we've been actually given more signs of the times, Mm -hmm. you know, how much more are we accountable to understand the unique time period that we're living in? I'm I'm curious about how today's media would cover this event. (laughs) Can you imagine? I mean, if, if say that we were to be, you know, lurch forward into, into the future and this was all going on today and how social media and everything would cover this. And, um, I mean, the Jews were expecting something different. Uh, they were expecting to be rescued and, and they weren't expecting, uh, the sin issue to be taken care of by Jesus himself. They were looking for something completely different. Cultural, national, political salvation. Yeah. And that's the meaning of what, was quoted earlier, you know, he was a stumbling block. He didn't fit their definition of what a Messiah should be. Because as you just correctly said, you know, he had to come first to deal with the sin issue. And they didn't want that. They wanted all the political issue fixed. Well, you can't have world peace unless there's spiritual peace, you know, between God and man. And what inhibits that is our, our sin. And so that had to be dealt with first. And because God was dealing with things in his order, not their order, mm. they they tripped right over him, which what, is tragic. What's also fascinating, uh, there's so much just in the triumphal entry. There's so much you could do a week's worth of sermons on that. But um, I'm thinking about how, first of all, the disciples were really about crowd control much of the time in Jesus' ministry. And that triumphal entry into Jerusalem was no different. Um, but the fascinating fact is a lot of people in the mob wanting that political savior and shouting Hosanna would just days later cry out, crucify him. And they were turned. And that's what's really, that's the heart of man. You know, they would, they would, many would flip like that, don't you think? Well, I think a lot of it is they expected the kingdom right away. Mm-hmm. And as long as that expectation was real, They hung around Jesus, and I think this is the issue with Judas. I mean, why did Judas hang around so 
frequently, even though he was clearly unsaved. Well, he thought the kingdom was going to come, and uh, he was going to be given a, a place of prominence in the kingdom. And the more it appeared that the kingdom was going to be postponed because of Israel's rejection of Jesus, and the more Jesus you know, talked about an inner Advent age, uh, that they'd never known before, and the more he talked about, you know, the fact that he had to die on a cross and rise from the dead, the harder Judas's heart became, and that's why Judas finally sold Jesus out, you know, for 30 pieces of silver. And you even see Peter getting frustrated with Jesus, because Jesus in Matthew 16 is predicting, uh, you know, his crucifixion. And uh, Matthew 16 says Peter took Jesus aside, if you can believe this, <laughs> yeah. and began to rebuke him. Can you believe that? Wow. Uh, re- rebuking the Son of God because Jesus was not functioning according to their, their schedule. Wow. It's fascinating. And, and yet God, God took lemons and turned it into lemonade. He yeah. used this to pay the sin debt of the whole world. Many of us can relate to foot-in-mouth Peter. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, to take all the different Gospels, because all four Gospels mention... Uh, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. And uh, the Pharisees obviously got their digs in, you know, rebuke your disciples. And then Jesus says, well, even the rocks would cry out. But also in John, um, the Pharisees said amongst themselves, because when they saw the size of the crowd and Lazarus was involved, it's, they said, you see, you're accomplishing nothing. They're all following him. I could just see them throwing something down on the ground and having their little, you know, their little... Uh, hissy fit over all this because what they had been trying to do this whole time to turn the crowds away from him and I think it's not too long after that Jesus has has something to say to the whitewashed tombs and mm. dead men's bones. Mm-hmm. Well, Andy, yeah. one thing I wanted to ask you about, and I've studied this in the past, but it's been years. The Eastern Gate, I believe it's also called the Golden Gate in Jerusalem. Jesus entered through that, um, and doesn't prophecy indicate, since his feet, Zechariah says his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, once again, when he returns, will he not enter back through that same eastern gate? Because he's coming from the east. I believe Isaiah mentions that. Um, is that accurate? And what that eastern gate, isn't it cemented right now? Yeah, no, I think those prophecies about the eastern gate are, are legitimately real prophecies. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of them are in Ezekiel 44, you know, if memory serves. And, you know, Satan, what does Satan do? He always tries to, you know, inhibit Bible prophecy from being fulfilled, which is a losing proposition. So the Muslims, he's had the Muslims seal that gate up. You know, I've been there, you know, many times. I'm sure Mary has also Mm -hmm. in her trips to Israel. They've had it sealed up, you know, for a very long time, as if, you know, Satan can stop that prophecy from happening. But... (laughs) <laughs> that prophecy, just like any other prophecy in the Bible, you know, will be fulfilled. You know, cement, yeah. I don't think, is much of a challenge for God incarnate. Yeah, isn't it funny? Yeah, Jesus, you know, walked through walls, right? And so they've got this cement up. Let's put cement up. That'll stop God from coming back into the city. Also, not only that, they put a, they put a cemetery in front of the gate, right. dead man's bones. Right. And they're thinking a religious man, a righteous man, would not go through a cemetery. Your thoughts on that, Andy? It's just the thinking of man, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Satan has always thought in his darkened mind that he can stop prophecy from being fulfilled, which explains all the attempts to snuff out the Messianic line mm-hmm. leading to the first coming of Christ. And yet all of those attempts 
whether it's in Genesis 6 or Genesis 4 or wherever, you know, have failed. And Satan is trying to do the same thing today. In fact, he's going to try to actually gobble up the Jewish nation in the second half of the tribulation so the kingdom can never come to the earth. And that attempt, Revelation 12, verses 6 through 17, is going to fail as well. And Satan is on the losing side of history and God's prophecies will be fulfilled, because if they're not, then at the end of the day, he's a liar. And the scripture very clearly says in many places that it's impossible for God to lie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to re- take a couple minutes and just encourage people with the gospel and with some hope, because uh, Jesus is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and everything he said was true. He is God. He was God in human flesh when he was on the earth. And one of the things he said was, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he's our hope, our peace, our salvation. Romans 10.13 says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Andy, share your final thoughts in the last couple minutes here. Well, this time of the year, you know, when we celebrate um, uh, uh, Palm Sunday and then Friday, what some call Good Friday, and then the following Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Amen. I mean, the whole issue is Jesus came into the world to fix a problem that we can't fix, Mm. and that's the fact that our sin, because we're sinners by nature, separates us from a holy God and puts us under judgment. And Jesus stepped out of eternity into time 2,000 years ago to bear the consequences in his body of a holy God the Father against my sin. It really should be me on that cross, but he stepped into the line of fire and absorbed that wrath in my place. And he he only asks one thing. He says, it is finished, meaning there's nothing that I can contribute to the finished work of Christ. He only asks that I receive you know, what he has done in my place 2,000 years ago as a free gift. And mm. according to Romans 4, 4 and 5, Um, there's only one way to receive a gift from God, which is to believe or trust in the one that he has sent. And that's as simple of a presentation of the gospel as I know how to give it. And we would just encourage anybody listening to this on live radio or listening, you know, in the archives or the podcast Mm -hmm. after the fact, if the Spirit is convicting you, there's a reason he's convicting you because you've never received a present from God. And, you know, it's like Christmas time. You get a gift, and but a gift is no value unless you take it and open it up and receive Amen. it. Amen. And so people need to do that. You know, every individual needs to do that. God doesn't have any grandchildren. You know, we can't live off the faith of our parents. We have to That's each amazing. individually receive this gift by placing our trust in Jesus Christ. And we would encourage people to do that even now as I'm speaking as the Holy Spirit is, is convicting them. Uh, to do it, and if um, it really, because this is an eternal decision, mm-hmm. it's the most important decision a person can make. They're either going to receive this gift or they're not. God won't force you to receive it, contrary to what some theologians teach. He will, though, convict you of your need to receive it, and if you're under that conviction, um, just a reminder, God's Spirit will not always strive with man. You know, God's Spirit was striving with man pre-flood for 120 years, but at some point that striving stopped. Mm -hmm. 
So don't mistake the conviction of God as if it's always going to be there. If you, if you sense it now, uh, the, the smartest thing you can do is respond to it by trusting in Christ for your complete eternity and in so doing, receiving this free gift that only Jesus can give you. Amen. Dr. Andy Woods, God bless you, brother. Thank you so much for your time today. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank You're you. welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, tomorrow, Scott Shera, a lawsuit is being announced today. There's a press conference in Appleton, Wisconsin, out across the street from St. Elizabeth's uh, Hospital about their 19-year-old daughter that died at the hospital at the hands of hospital administrators and policies there. And uh, anyway, we got to run, but tune in tomorrow for sure. God bless you, friends. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.